Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. It is great to see you guys. Thank you so much for being here. And wasn't that awesome this morning to worship? The band did such a great job. Praise God for those guys. Love them. I was getting goosebumps backstage, um, but uh, we're so glad you guys are here. We're going to continue a series that we've been in uh, called The Three Enemies of Your Soul, and we started this whole series off with this teaching from Jesus in the Gospel of John chapter 8, where he kind of lays this premise on us that we are in a war. Whether you realize it or not, whether you even agree with it or not, whether you're a Christian or not, that there is a war going on. It's not a physical war, not a political war. It is a spiritual one that Jesus said. There's a war to take back control of our minds from their captivities to lies with the weapon of the truth. And Jesus was very clear about his objective, why he came to earth. And why he came to live among us is that he came to be the truth, to share the truth, so that we might know what the truth is. And when he spoke of truth, he was talking about reality. Like, what is true reality? How can we base our life on something that's not going to move on us, that'll be different next year? How can we create a life around um, a permanent, fixed point of Here's our origin, where we came from. Here's what morality is, what is good and evil. What is our purpose and meaning for even being here? And where is it all going? These are the four big questions that every worldview has to answer without contradiction or it doesn't really work. And Jesus says, I have come to answer all those things and help you to understand what the truth is. And there's so many things in this world, in our society, uh, that contradict what Jesus taught. And those lies or those deceptions, Jesus was really clear about this. Again, going back to John chapter 8, verse 44, he says that the devil is the father of lies, that they all come from this fallen angel that is going to be judged by God. He knows this. And in the meantime, he wants to hurt as many people as he can, pull as many people away from God. To He knows that he can't hurt God, but he can hurt God by way of trying to hurt the people that God loves. And this is his agenda. And so he is trying to deceive. You see, the, the devil's agenda is to have deceitful ideas that play to misguided desires within us. And it's so important that you understand that the deceptions of the enemy of God and enemy of us, the devil, that Jesus called the accuser or the tempter, it was very specific that they are not targeted at just getting you to believe any kind of a lie. It's not like just any conspiracy theory. Hey, Elvis is alive in Mexico. Who cares, right? He wants you to believe stuff like it's okay for you to say, ah, I think I'm done with my spouse. I want to go find somebody better. I think I'm done with, um, you know, loving people that are hard to love. I think I'm going to do whatever I want to do, right? There are these temptations that would destroy our life, destroy our marriage, destroy our reputation, destroy our relationship with God that he's going to try to make it look as enticing and, and as irresistible as possible. 
And he does this through the three enemies of the soul, through the, the devil, through his deceptions, through the flesh. And we talked about this, that that deep down desire, that misguided desires within us, the New Testament writers called this the flesh. It is our animalistic cravings for self-gratification. And it comes in a couple different forms. It can be a desire just for, desire, just for pleasure in general. It can also be a desire to want to dominate to control, to feel like I ought to call the shots. It's this desire to want what you want, when you want it, the way you want it, when you want it, with who you want it. And it's the desire to make all those people over there do what you want. <laughs> to be able to be basically take God's role, God's job. You want to be able to, we, and we all have had those, I've had those moments too, where you're like, if everybody would just shut up and listen to me, we could fix this, yeah? Like, I, I, I already know what the answer is. We think we know, and it is our flesh in those moments. And even our society plays to that deception of like, you should just, whatever your heart tells you, you should say yes to that. You should go after it. We even talked about this one week, the, the phrase, the heart wants what the heart wants. We talked about, where did that come from? It's disturbing. But the, the backstory on that, but people use it as a get out of free, get out of free jail card all the time. Um, uh, and it is destructive. It is destroying lives. And this is why the last message that I gave you, we kind of ended on this great chapter in Galatians chapter 5, probably one of the best chapters in the New Testament, talking about the flesh and the spirit and how to walk with the spirit and reject and defeat the, the flesh. And I want to take a look at that again. In Galatians chapter 5, cha verse 16, it says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So here's what I want us to do today. We're going we're gonna to start with this question. So how do we do that? How do we fight the flesh, our flesh, and live by the Spirit? How do we do that? How, how do we take steps forward? That sounds like a great idea, but it sounds very spiritual and very churchy and, you know, uh, kind of otherworldly. How do we practically begin to do that? Well, let's look first at a little bit later, the same chapter, verse 24 of Galatians 5, where Paul says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have, let's say it together, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So he shows us here, step one, we're to crucify the flesh. Now he's saying to those who are followers of Christ already, those who belong to Christ Jesus, right? So if you're not a Christian yet, he's saying, you know, I'm not really speaking to you. This will be a, there may be a point where you need to do this, but if you're a follower of Christ, you claim Jesus as your Lord, there is no option here. He's saying, this is what you got to do. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to crucify the flesh. So let's talk about that for a minute. In Paul's day, there was no more brutal form of execution known to humankind than the crucifixion. It, of course, was the way that Jesus died. This is Paul's way of saying, when it comes to the flesh, these animalistic cravings for pleasure, for domination, the desire to want to control 
for those of us who tend to be control freaks, he says, listen, this approach to the flesh, you can't negotiate with it. You can't try to just manage it. You kill it. That's how you have to approach it. And what's interesting is that this has been God's approach all along. Even we go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, to look at the first murder that ever took place. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, and this was murder, some of you may remember this, is between two brothers, Cain and Abel, the first two sons of Adam and Eve. And they grew up to be men. Uh, Abel was a shepherd and Cain worked the land. He was a farmer. They both brought offerings to God. We see in the first few verses of this chapter. And God accepted Abel's and rejected Cain's. We're not even fully explained to why that happened, but it really made Cain angry with Abel. As a matter of fact, it kind of hints to the fact that this wasn't the first time that these two brothers were at odds, or the first time that Cain was <laughs> very angry with his brother Abel. He said he was very angry, and his face looked despondent, dejected, according to different translations, uh, or just, just sad or depressed. And God came to Cain and had a conversation with him, and he said, listen, Listen, you need to understand this sin, this flesh inside of you, it's like a beast within. And you better be careful because this beast can own you. It can rule over you. It can call the shots. It can make you its slave. It can make you its captive. And here's what makes the difference. If you succumb to it, you give into that flesh, you make it grow and it gets more powerful. If you starve it, it will get smaller. Let's take a look at this passage together. It says, this is God speaking to Cain. He says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And of course, the implied answer is yes. Cain, this is not the end of the story. Of course, you get a second chance. You could do this right, and you and I could be in right relationship. So this is not the end of the story. He says, but if you do not do what is right, let's say these highlighted words together. Sin is crouching at your door. Imagine, I can't help it. I, I, I imagine like a big predatory cat, you know, a big, like a tiger, a lion, a puma, you know, like a big cat crouching down. Have you ever seen those shows, you know, where they hunt their prey and they're they, in the tall grass and they're waiting for just the right moment, right? It desires to, let's say it together, it desires to have you, consume you. That's what that beast does, right? He's saying, make no mistake about it. This is not a neutral feeling. This will own you. This is why the last statement, he says, but you must rule over it. You have to subjugate that or it will subjugate you. If you don't rule over it, it will come and rule over you. And we have all seen in other people's lives, or maybe you have had these moments in your own life, where a habit maybe gets really powerful, it turns into an addiction, or it's something, it's a habit you can't seem to stop, and it just owns you. You just are almost like this robot. You just sort of go into the motions. You just do it, and you're like, I don't even like this, and I don't even want to do this, but I can't seem to stop doing this. It owns you. It owns you, and it started probably from a fleshly desire. 
And this was God's way of saying, listen, you can't just have a neutral or kind of like, yeah, probably ought to get some kind of strategy to stop this. No, you have to learn how to kill it. It's interesting. It's this animalistic, primal drive down in us that if it's allowed to grow, it can become so powerful that there's not a whole lot that we can do against this. Now, I find it really helpful to look at some of what neurobiology has to say about this particular topic. Dr. Jeffrey Swartz, and this was a, uh, a letter that he wrote to a young man who was fatherless, and he was trying to give good advice to him. And uh, this neurobiologist wrote this. I thought this was really fascinating. Neither should the body be indulged and catered to, because the more you pamper and submit to its desires, the more they grow into insatiable cravings. Now, this is a neurobiologist talking about the neuron synapses of our brain and how that works. He says, a potato chip or an orgasm tends to make you want another one. Some of you may go, amen. All right. But anyway, (laughs) and that way lies being nothing more than an animal. It will take over. It's crazy that neurobiology is saying, this is how we're wired This is how we as human beings work. God knows what he's talking about. Now, he didn't go that far. I will. God has been saying this all along. This is how we are wired. This is why Paul says you don't negotiate with the flesh. You don't just try to manage it. You don't just try to, you know, keep it under wraps and not not let it destroy your life. No, you have to be actively trying to destroy it or it will destroy you. So that's the first step. We've got to learn how to crucify the flesh. Step number two, we're going to look at this next verse. We need to be in step with the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 25, here's what Paul says. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's really important that you understand that how we're going to overcome the flesh, how you win that battle with the flesh, is not going to come from willpower. It's not going to come from your power or my power. When I say willpower, I'm not talking about me, right? I'm will, but I'm not talking about my willpower. I'm talking about all of our willpower. You can't do it with willpower. Now, willpower can do a lot. Willpower can get your papers written. Willpower can get you out of bed in the morning and get you to work on time. Willpower can get you to the gym and get you in shape. Willpower, as a matter of fact, here's a good strategy. When willpower works and the Spirit uses it, use it. But there are times, the problem is that just willpower is just not very good for a whole lot of things. Willpower is great when it comes to like grabbing that second cookie after lunch. I'm, I'm doing a little confession here. You see that, right? You know, like, yeah, I can, okay, I'm going to wait. But willpower is horrible at stopping an addiction. Willpower is horrible at stopping any kind of self-destructive behavior that is rooted in past trauma. You see that? You, you, you can't do it. That You have to tap into a power outside of yourself. There is language like that, even in programs like AA, and it's part of the reason why they've been so powerful and so effective. You can't do this. You have to tap into God's power. This is how you do it. And for some of you maybe sitting here, you say, I've been trying to stop X for so long. Habits, addictions, I've been trying in my own power, like so much, and I have been failing over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And let me just say to you, Stop beating yourself up. 
Just change your strategy. Change your approach. You need to tap into a power beyond yourself. You need to tap into a game-changing power, and that game-changing power is the spirit of Jesus, okay? Jesus promised to us that those who come and follow him, that are followers of him, who receive his grace, his forgiveness, and he becomes the Lord of their life, in John chapter 14, 15, 16, at different places he mentions this, but he says, I will send you the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, he calls him. The spirit will come and he will be your power. But the question is, how do we access his power? How do we do that? Simple. We do it through the habits, the practices, the disciplines of Jesus. I use all three words because they're used interchangeably these days depending on who you read, but they're talking about the same things. It's the things Jesus did, that we learn how to do what he did. This is part of what it means to take on the yoke of Jesus, to learn how to follow our master, our rabbi, our Lord of Jesus. Jesus. Learning how to do this. And when we learn how to do that, we tap into a power outside of ourselves to be able to to defeat some of these enemies that are constantly trying to own us. In other words, spiritual disciplines are spiritual warfare, okay? It's just really important that you understand this because sometimes spiritual warfare is explained in such a way that it sounds like it's about a half step away from doing an exorcism or something. But I'm telling you, it's a lot less Hollywoodized and glamorized as that. It is a lot more mundane and everyday it's this, this, the habits of saying, okay, I'm going to begin to incorporate the things of Jesus into my life every day, and in doing so, God will bring about a power that is greater, that, there's no way I could ever do this in my willpower. It is the Spirit's power to defeat the enemies, the three enemies of the soul, the devil, the flesh, and the world. It's crazy how powerful and how I've seen this work in my life and so many other people's lives. To put it another way, every time you practice a habit of Jesus, your spirit, now notice this is spirit little s. This is not the Holy Spirit. This is your spirit. Interchangeably in in Scripture, sometimes spirit is talked about or your heart or the will. This is your inner, think about it like this, your inner willpower muscle. Your ability to choose even when it's super hard to choose. Everybody needs to be able to develop that muscle. He says, uh, uh, pardon me, to restate this, every time you practice a habit of Jesus, your spirit gets a little stronger. And your flesh, your animalistic cravings for self-gratification will get weaker. That big cat gets like a little kitty cat, right? It gets smaller and smaller to the point where it's not a threat to you anymore. It doesn't rule your life anymore. It's always there. It always could rear its ugly head and start to get powerful if you start giving into it at any time. So here's, let's talk about two really powerful um, practices or disciplines, habits of Jesus that I think could be a game changer for you. Here's the first one, fasting. Fasting is probably, arguably, one of the most misunderstood practices of Jesus among Christians today. So let me define what it is. Fasting is going without food, okay? Sometimes I hear people say, 
hey, uh, Pastor Will, I'm fasting from social media. I'm fasting from my phone or my TV or from online shopping. And that is great. That's just not fasting. That's abstinence. It's, it's another discipline. I think it's really good. There's times that we need to abstain from certain things like that. But to be clear, fasting is to deny our body food. It is to not give the flesh what it wants. It is to deny the body, right? Now, let me just be clear before I go any further. I'm not saying, what we're not saying here today is that the body is evil. The body is a gift from God. Even the desires of the body for pleasure, for delicious food, even sexual desires, those have been given to us by God to be satisfied by Him in His timing and in His way. And when we go around that, that's when we get in trouble. But it's learning how to pull back and to learn how to be disciplined in those areas. So here's the thing about the body, though. The body has been corrupted by sin. And that the body, under the influence of the flesh, this animalistic desire, has been recruited to fight against us, spiritually speaking. And what the spiritual disciplines and habits uh, of Jesus do is it helps us to turn that flesh, or pardon me, turn that body back into an ally against the flesh instead of an enemy against us. Because our body will constantly be fighting against us until we learn how to turn it into an ally. And it is in that process that we will see it, is, it really is a game changer. It really is crazy how powerful it can be. Now let me just say this. When you first start fasting, <clears throat> it will not feel like a, this unbelievable access to power. It's going to feel a little crummy. I'm just going to be honest with you. Fasting like little else will humble you. It has humbled me on many occasions, right? It's very humbling. It will make you feel a little sad, maybe, for some people. Maybe a little anxious. Hangry, you know that word? Hangry, I have felt that many a time. Um, but what's really beautiful and very cool is that over time, it will turn those emotions into contentment and joy and an inexplicable intimacy with God and a spiritual power that you just almost can't believe. It is, I, I mean, again, I want to be careful that I don't describe it like some silver bullet that's going to fix everything. It's not that. But it is a gateway to deeper spiritual power, period. You see, fasting trains our bodies to not get what they want. It teaches us, our, our bodies, our whole soul, the, the entirety of, of us as a person, that we can go through life not getting what we want and still being happy. That is a revolutionary idea for a lot of people. Because without the Spirit's power, and, the, and this is what the Spirit's power does, it helps us to be joyful, peaceful, happy people and not always get our way. Because how many of you uh, have it witnessed that there are times in this life you're not going to get your way? And there are certain people that are dead set against you getting your way. They're just not going to let you um, get your way. And in those moments in life when you're not getting your way, instead of getting furious, getting depressed, 
going ballistic on Twitter or social media and just letting people have it, which people do that too, right? Instead of all that, learning through the Spirit's power to have the peace of God, the joy of God, and learning how to be genuinely happy and not get your way. That is a powerful, powerful breakthrough spiritually for a whole lot of people. I love how Dallas Willard said it. Uh, He said it this way, fasting teaches us to be sweet when we don't get our way. We know how to be sweet when we get our way, right? But in this country, in the Western world of uh, America, Europe, etc., we don't do well when people don't give us what we want, the way we want, when we want, in the timely fashion, and meeting our criteria. We just want it faster and faster and faster and faster. That does not develop spiritual power. It's learning how to slow down, to be patient, to not live a hurried life where you're gotta go faster, 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 give me what I want right now. That's the flesh. Now, there are times, I understand we all live under demands, and you've got to meet deadlines, etc. But being careful that you don't let that set the tone for your heart and your spirit, your life. Jesus, when he was getting ready to go toe-to-toe with the devil himself, what did he do? In Matthew chapter 4, let's take a look together. It says that when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil... 40 days, for 40 days and 40 nights, he, let's say it together, he fasted and became very hungry. And I've said this before, that may be the biggest understatement in the New Testament. After 40 days, yes, I bet he was hungry. I'd be hungry after about four hours. Um, But this is, yes, absolutely. But it's interesting here that, and you may be wondering, well, why did the, the Holy Spirit allow him to be led into the wilderness to be tempted? You know, Convictions aren't worth much if they can't bear up under the weight of resistance, right? Jesus is just showing us this is what happened to me. It will happen to every one of you. You will be tested. Your faith will be tested. No doubt about it. You don't always know when, where, but it will be. And what's interesting here, and I've misunderstood this passage. I'm going to be honest for a long time. The idea of after 40 days, and then we see that in the next verse, of verse 3, that the tempter, Satan, the devil, shows up and begins to tempt Jesus. Now, I'd encourage you to go back and read the whole thing, but I just want to give you, as way of a principle here, he did this. I misunderstood this thinking, well, isn't that just like the devil? After Jesus, the 40 days, Jesus is at his low point. He's so weak, and then he comes at him. But that is to misunderstand the reciprocal relationship with fasting, that when we fast, we gain spiritual power. After 40 days, that wasn't his low point. He was at an all-time spiritual high. He knew this. This is how he prepared for this moment. He sought God and denied his flesh. And when he spoke, he spoke with razor-sharp, adroit skill. He used God's word like a surgeon. It is beautiful how he did it. And he did it as a result of time where he denied his flesh, sought the Lord. It was a, a limited period of time. Let me just be clear about this. Fasting could be one meal. 
It could be a 24-hour period. It could be multiple days. There's lots of different ways to do it. It can be done with a group. We can do it with more than one. You could do it lots of different ways. So I'm not trying to box you in on, you don't, don't, don't have to, I wouldn't start with a 40-day deal, okay? That's a, quite a large chunk to check with your doctor before you go into that deal, okay? Um, so, but what Jesus is revealing here, he reveals that this is what fasting does for you. It releases great power. Don't you diminish or, or misunderstood that. Now, let me just say to you, those of you here that have been struggling with habitual sin, especially sexual in nature type sin, I, I'm just going to tell you, I have seen this be a game changer for men in particular, but really people, all kinds of people. Again, it's not a silver bullet for everything. It doesn't mean that you just do this. You might have to do that, plus some accountability, Christian counseling, etc. But it is amazing how it will loosen the grip that the flesh has over your life when you begin to surrender this part of yourself. So here's the second discipline I want to talk about. It's confession. Confession. Again, another area that has been widely misunderstood uh, in the church. It's usually something that's done in conjunction with the Lord's Prayer or communion. That right before you take the bread and the cup that you're asked to, uh, you know, quietly in your mind, tell God you're sorry for your sins. And I'm not trying to downplay that. And I think there's a, a place where we need to do that and ask God's forgiveness from sin. But the problem with that is, is it keeps it private. It doesn't drag it out into the open, into the light, and give not just forgiveness, but freedom. I really believe there is a freedom that comes from learning how to find a select few of people that you can trust, they're trustworthy and loving community of God-fearing, God-loving people that you can share your sins with, that will pray for one another. As a matter of fact, the half-brother of Jesus, James, said it this way, chapter 5, verse 16. If you read these highlighted words with me, he says, therefore, confess your sins to who? To each other and pray for who each other so that you may be let's say it together may be healed there is a healing that happens a deep healing when you come clean i i don't even know how it fully works but there is a spout of power of a very powerful spiritual principle at play that when we speak our sin to another person who will actually pray for us it loosens its grip on our heart like little else in this world. It is crazy how powerful it is. And for a lot of people, they don't ever have somebody like that. I just encourage you today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that you would have somebody in your life. And maybe it's your spouse. Generally, it's not the greatest thing to dump all of this on your spouse. You might want to have men, you want to have a man, friend, or, you know, ladies, have another lady that you can share some of these things and pray for each other. Um, but to be able to have someone that you can trust, and I love how it ends, the prayer of a righteous person is the two things, powerful and effective. There is an effectiveness that comes this way like no other way. And I just encourage you that you would find someone that you can confess. I've known men that have done this for years. They may only be on the phone for about five minutes a day. They call each other almost daily and, and just, hey, how you doing? What can I pray for? 
do a quick confession, pray for each other, and they said that's the single greatest spiritual like growth agent God has used in our life is that, that just five minutes of confession. It's, that doesn't have to be a long thing, but it's just being real. It's just being honest and open. It's really amazing. It's really powerful. So I just encourage you to, you would think about who would that be for you? Because this has broken chains for many people. And this is what the Apostle Paul was talking about. And he's saying, listen, this will set you free. The James here, this will set you free. This is not something, the flesh isn't something we manage. It's not something that we negotiate with. We, we kill it. And this is how we kill it. By taking the spiritual disciplines, incorporating them into our, our lives. So here's what I hope you, your, your takeaway today is that the way that we combat, that we war against the flesh and win, it's not through willpower, but through the Spirit's power. And we tap into that Spirit's power through the disciplines of Jesus, starting with fasting and confession. It is so powerful what it can do as we make those a regular part of our life and this may be a radical message. You've never heard anybody challenge you with this before. But I'm telling you, to take a step to begin to incorporate this, it can make a huge difference. Here's the application prayer. I ask you to pray with me. Jesus, show me where I battle most with the flesh. I surrender to you, not to self. I commit to use your practices of fasting and confession to walk in the power of your spirit. This is what it means to walk in the power of the spirit. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.